Week two of our series in Ezra. So Ezra chapter three. There we go. Now I got some volume. Ezra three. Ezra chapter three. Wonder if we should uh, kill the lights in the uh, back part of the uh, service. I don't know if that affects the video or not. So I don't don't um, I'll pretend to know things that I do know and things that I don't know. And whatever I don't know is a lot more than what I do now. All right, let's uh, let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity you've given us to look into your word. And particularly as we continue our series in the book of Ezra, I just pray you would speak to our hearts. Give us something that we can take uh, this, this morning and apply to, our, apply to our lives. And I pray you would help me make your word clear and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Week two, the restoration starts, dot, 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 then stops. So the restoration starts, then it's going to stop. So last week, we looked at the return of God's people to Jerusalem. We noted what resources they had. We noted who came back. And we also noted at what they gave to start the all-important task of rebuilding the temple. Now, why was the temple? Why did the temple need to be rebuilt? Well, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple after pillaging it and taking the treasures of the Lord back to Babylon with him in the final destruction, believed to be somewhere in the roughly 580s BC. I think I, I normally put 586 here. That's believed to be pretty close as far as the actual year that the temple was finally destroyed and Nebuchadnezzar took the last of the treasures and the exile began, thus beginning the 70-year period of God's people being exiled into Babylon. And then later Babylon would be captured by Persia. And you read that in Daniel 5 and then in the 6. So now this is going to be, we're going to pick up the account here in Ezra 3. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 and following. The Bible says that when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priests, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his basis, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings there unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, that is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the custom, as the duty of every day required. And afterward, offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons, and of all the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and of every one that willingly offered a free will offering unto the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. But the temple, the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. They gave money also unto the masons, unto the carpenters, and meat and drink and oil, unto them a Zidon, and to them a Tyre, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa, according to the grant that they have of Cyrus, king of Persia. Stop there. All right. I think we're ready to move on to our next slide. Okay, so that's, the, that's basically the review. Darius, the king of Persia, was stirred by God to send a group back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. We looked at that last week from Ezra chapter 1. They took back a generous offering, plus the treasures and vessels of the Lord, 
which Nebuchadnezzar had taken and brought to Babylon. We read that from 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Ezra 3 here picks up with the first day of the seventh month, which in, which in the book of Leviticus was indicated as the day they would celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. There would not be, uh, they were not to work on that day. You can read that in Leviticus chapter 23. Let's actually go there, Leviticus 23, because there's a couple of days we're going to be looking at. Uh, if you have a bookmark, which I actually do in this Bible that I use, so I'm going to put my bookmark here and I'm going to go to Leviticus 23. I'm going to pick up reading in verse 24. Here we go. 23, sorry. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. This would be the Feast of Trumpets. And holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Now, keep your finger in Leviticus 23. We're going to be coming right back here very shortly. Jeshua, the high priest, along with Zerubbabel, build an altar to God for these burnt offerings. And this aligned with Moses' command in Deuteronomy 12, verse 5 and 6. I'll read that passage for you. So, this, the people had all gathered in congregation here in Jerusalem... Jeshua stood, stood up as well as a priest, and also Zerubbabel. And together they built an altar to God for the purpose of burnt offerings, as it was written. The days of the tabernacle, Moses declared, But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come, and thither ye shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes. And he would continue on. That's going to be from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. We're in Ezra 3 if you're just walking in. They set it, the altar on its foundations and offered a continual burnt offering, which is following the Levitical law from Numbers chapter 28, verse 3. And again, that will be one you'll jot down and be able to read on your own time as well. Now, later on in the seventh month, we looked here at verse 4 in Ezra 3. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the custom, as the duty of every day required. Let's look at Leviticus 23. I'm going to slide down to verse number 33. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. The first day shall be a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. Seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. An eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you, and ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It's a solemn assembly. Shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of the Lord which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, and so on and so forth. You can read down through verse number 43 on your own and see, continue to read on the what the Feast of Tabernacles was. We did skip over the Day of Atonement. That's an, another passage you can read. That would be the verses uh, tw um, sorry, 25, 26 
through where we picked up there in 33. That's all very also another very important feast. So th- these would have been these would have been these three feasts would have been the first feasts that they would have observed according to the Levitical law and to what where they would have started and were picked up here in Ezra chapter 3. All right? You can go back to Ezra 3. They continue to offer the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now note the end of verse 6. It says, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Let me see here. This is continual offering. There we go. Ten days later was the Day of Atonement. Both the trumpets and the atonements were off days. Those were the first days. There was going to be no servile work. Verse 6, we see that the work of rebuilding the temple had yet to commence. Now, why was this work delayed? Well, why are, why are things delayed? Why, why are certain things sometimes delayed? Uh, finances? Finances can be a cause for a delay, but in this instance, no. Remember last week, we looked at all that Cyrus had given them. There was a, such a, a ginormous, sorry, I used the word ginormous. There was a large free will offering given not only of Cyrus, but also of those who were under him. They went with that. Plus, they had the treasures of the house of the Lord. They had more than enough to give. In fact, if you look at, at the tail end of Ezra 2 from last week, you saw the huge offering they had. So finances were not an issue here. Was there a desire to be consecrated, consecrated and restored? Sure, there could have been that. There was another, that's possibly another reason. Pause, pausing to reflect upon how all that God had done in allowing them to come back and be used in this way to rebuild again the temple. Yeah, that's, that can be a cause. But that's a, lo- a long time for the work to not quite start yet. It's going to take about eight months to get things going. Verse 8 is going to pick things up eight months later. So let's uh, go on to verse 8. Now, in the second year of their coming under the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, he would have been the high priest, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all them that were come out of the captivity under Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah together, to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Hanadah with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set their priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. That's a reference to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. I'll have it up here in the notes. Uh, if you're taking notes, uh, I will get there on the screen. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. More on that phrase in just a minute. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, but many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, who were ancient men that had seen the first house, this would have been Solomon's temple, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern from the noise of the shout of joy, from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. And we'll stop right there. 
Okay, so we're picking up in the second year and the second month of their coming. So this would have been eight months later. Now there's going to be a group of people going to work. This would include Zerubbabel, Jeshua, a group of, uh, I'm sorry, the priests, the Levites, and all those who are at least 20 years of age. They finally began to and construct the foundation of the new temple. The priests, in all their apparel, along with the Levites, offered much praise to the Lord. The Levites had played with symbols, much like David had appointed when the Ark of God had been brought to Jerusalem. That's a passage I referred to in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. Now they sang together in praising and giving thanks to the Lord. Look with me again at the te- in verse beginning of verse 11. The Bible says, And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. Now, can anybody think off the top of their head that is there this one phrase that sticks out? Not like if you're if you're very familiar with your Old Testament, there's going to be one phrase that sticks out like a sore thumb in the in the, be, in the beginning of that tail end of verse eleven, in that beginning of part of verse eleven. Can anybody tell me what it is? His mercy endureth forever. Very good. Now, bonus points. What pa- what um what passage is it from? It is from one of the Psalms. One thirty six. Yes, Psalm one thirty six. Very good. It has the references in your Bible. Yes, that's okay. That's okay. I was hoping somebody would get the right answer anyway, even if you had to look. Remember, this is this is open Bible. This is an open. This is an open Bible test. If I'm a, if I'm answering questions, this is not. This is, remember you remember when you're a kid in, in school. I, I know some of, some of you didn't go to public school, but some of you did. You had you had what they called an open book test, and then you had like a closed book test. Anybody have, remember open book tests? I had open book tests quite not not all not all the time, of course. But you know, open, I liked open book tests. But sometimes the, the the trick with open book testing is that you have to remember exactly where it is in order for that to actually work out for you. And see, there even in many many Bibles have have, have nice little concordances. The one I'm reading out of here does not. But I do, I do like look, looking at a lot of Bibles with the uh, with concordances to tell me where the reference is to something like that. Psalm 136. The psalmist reflecting on perhaps this event goes on to use the phrase his mercy endureth forever in each and every verse of that psalm in in the psalm that he pens. There was great jubilation among many of those that had been there to witness the laying of this foundation. Not Everyone shared the same viewpoint, though. Some of those that were there actually wept because they remembered the glories of Solomon's temple before Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it in 586. Now, here's the thing that I want to mention. Was it okay? Was it fair for them to reflect upon the days of yesterday or the days that had long gone? Remembering now, Solomon's temple was amazing. In fact, it was one of the it was probably one of the best buildings ever constructed by human hands. But to go from Solomon's temple to what they had now, yeah, that's going to be a bit of a letdown, sure. 
but to weep over it and to reflect upon it. Remember, God's gonna, God's still gonna, God did just as much of a great work in allowing them to build a temple and everything that went, and things that went, the, the profitable, the good things that went on in the temple and what the temple had reflected. Was that going to translate into this temple in this new in this new building, despite it not looking not looking or having the same uh, materials, the same the same exact foundation or the same exact replica of what Solomon's temple looked like? Yeah, this building wasn't going to be as great, but God was still going to be in it, and that was what the point really needed to be about. That God was going to be in this building, and God was going to use this. And was using these men. And that's the point we want to get along. We can remember and reflect upon the church, the, the church age when back when the back. Remember all the days of all the great revivals we had in the 50s and the 60s, the, the revivals of the church. Uh, hello. Don't we ser- still serve the same God today as 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 uh, they did in the fi- as the church had in the 50s and the 60s when we had all those great revivals? Maybe you want to go back 100 years and look at some of the revivals then? Yes, we serve the same God today. Who's changed? We're the ones that changed. We're the ones that have changed. We're the ones that are weeping aloud, remembering of hearing Everybody telling us about how great, how full the church house was on Sunday mornings and how the people were moved and how the gospel went forth freely. It doesn't the gospel still go forth freely today. Just because we only have a handful of people here doesn't mean there aren't churches around the country and around the world that are thriving to have lots of people and have. And not only that, but not only lots of people, but lots of people whose hearts have been stirred. We can do just as much with a small, a small group as they can with a large group. We, don't, we can't reflect upon the past. The past is the past, both when it came to the temple here for these uh, older gentlemen and as well as for the church today. All right? So I hope that's a help to you. The tears were, the, that were cried were so loud that those outside of the area could not tell if they were tears of joy or tears of lament. And this is not the last time that some of the older people would weep about the former temple. Um, I believe that is a reference in Haggai or in Zechariah. It's one of the two. Chapter 4. Ezra 4. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to be introduced here to those that would attempt to and often succeed at stopping or slowing down the work of rebuilding the temple. Hey, guess what? Newsflash. There's always going to be adversaries or opponents who are going to oppose the work of God and the work of God's people. If you haven't seen it in your Christian life, you will. If you have seen it in your Christian life, reflect upon it. It's going to happen again. There's always going to be opposition. Most of the opposition is going to come from outside of those four walls, but we have to be careful in our own hearts to make sure we're not part of the opposition ourselves with our own, with our own sins and our own devices. Okay? Chapter 4. The, the first of these opponents will be adversaries of Judah and Benjamin. I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 1 down through 5. 
Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God, as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Azar Haddon, king of Assur, which brought us up, to, brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, You have nothing to do with us to build a house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building, and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even under the reign of Darius, king of Persia. This is going to be a period of about 15 years. They came to Zerubbabel, claiming to have sought God and had sacrificed unto him since the days of Azar Haddon. Now, Azar Haddon was an Assyrian king in the 7th century BC, so it would have been at least a period of 100 plus years, maybe even close to 200 by this point. Who in the seventh century he was the son of Sennacherib, who that king attempted to conquer Jerusalem, but he was thwarted. You can read that in Second Kings chapter nineteen, verses thirty-five through thirty-seven. Okay, now when Zerubbabel dismissed them, they became adversaries and discouraged the people from completing the work. So here's a here's a problem with um, these 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 adversaries, these descendants who claimed to worship God and had, and had done so for this long period of time. Now, this Assyrian king, these were descendants of mixed marriages. When Israelites had, because a mixed marriage was when the children of Israel were marrying those that were outside of Israel. That's what we refer to as a mixed marriage here. As Azar Haddon, again, the Assyrian king in the 7th century, Sennacherib attempted to siege and conquer Jerusalem, but was thwarted. Now, Ezra Haddon simply then took the northern kingdom Israelites and got them to intermarry, and these became their descendants over 150 years later. The problem with their intermarriage was, again, do these other nations worship the Lord or were they given to pagan worship? Well, they were given to pagan worship. And when you're, when you're given over to pagan worship, your heart can be more, is more likely to go against worshiping true God and going toward pagan worship. Consider Solomon. Now, Zerubbabel told them that this was their task as Cyrus had commanded them. You see that in verse 3. We're to, we ourselves together will build under the, under the Lord God of Israel as Cyrus had commanded us. So now, they're gonna, uh, the adversaries then is going to discourage the people, he's going to discourage the work, and little is going to be accomplished. These adversaries were actually insincere. They claimed to worship God as Israel did but we're actually only interested in disrupting the work. You see that? I see a hand in the back. Well, what they said in that part was true. Because their, their fathers had a mixed worship. God wasn't their only God they worshipped. They worshipped the whole slew of gods. And the problem was with like an intermarriage. The problem was the interfaith. 
because you had Rahab, who was not a Jew. She converted, and then she's in the line of Christ. You right, have, correct. You have so many others that are grouped, and others say they converted, they accepted the Lord, and they put their faith in the coming Messiah. They didn't have a faith in the coming Messiah. This was a, they had the same mixed problems, the same problems that when they went into captivity, they carried those problems out of captivity. They worship the golden calf. The golden calf is gone. Now they worship in a different mountain. And they were trying to subvert, to try to get Judah into the same practice with them. They were saying, hey, we worship God. Let's all go together. No, it's a mixed, compromised faith. It's like you, the closest similarity today is you've got mainstream Christian denominations that, hey, we all worship the same God. Let's all get together. And they have no problem with these interfaith meetings between Christians. Muslims and others, and then they turn to us and say, hey, you Baptists, we worship the same God, fall in line. And that's the same thing that has happened there. That's a good point. Yes. Again, it's not a blank, it was not a, meant to be a blanket statement. That you know, not every single instance of a mixed marriage resulted in the in the good in the, in the one who was doing right and serving the true God falling away. There were instances where the one where the one in the other where the other side did come to true worship to worship of the true God. That was not meant to be a blanket statement. If it was taken as a blanket statement, then that's on me. Um, so, but he made a good point, and that is that you're seeing it today in the church. You're, and this is the church as a whole. This is not a blanket. Again, this is not a blanket. This should not be taken as a blanket statement on the uh, on the church on, on the church that every, it happens every to every single church. But there are many of those who who will seek to try and get you out to say, "Hey, we worship the same God." They actually don't worship the same God. They, you know, they they may have they may they may claim to worship God. But it's their their side is a little bit different, and if we're not careful, we're gonna fall into that. There are many churches out there that are going and saying that they not only this, but that they have the same purpose. Well, they don't have the same purpose. Many of them have purposes that are that are good and proper in a place. Many of them will be like, "Oh, we have a soup kitchen, or we do this, or we do that." Is that the purpose of the church? No. The purpose of the church is to go and be go and be a witness for God and to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them whatever things God has commanded us. And then he gave us the promise, Lo, I'm with you all the way even until the end of the world. And he said, we're going to receive power, the Holy Ghost to come upon us, and we're going to be witnesses unto him, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. That's the point. That's what, that's some of the purposes of what the church actually should be. Now, is there a place for a soup kitchen? Maybe there are. I know I know good churches that have soup kitchens or something or something similar. So I'm not saying there isn't a purpose in some of those things, but many of them make it to where it's that's their focal point. That's not our focal point, and we need to keep the main thing the main thing and going out and reaching the gospel, going out and spreading the going out and spreading the gospel. Amen. Okay. Now, this opposition lasted for some time. It lasted through the end of Cyrus's reign and, and through Ahasuerus's reign. Now, verse number six is where I left off. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. 
and in the days of Artaxerxes, wrote Bishlam, Mithridath, Tabil, and the rest of their companions unto Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the writing of the letter was written in the Syrian tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. By the way, from verse 8 through the majority of the end of Ezra chapter 6, the book is going to be faithfully translated unto us from the Aramaic. And so you don't hear this too often. The Aramaic language was an important language. It was, a, it was the commercial language used by the Babylonians and the Persians. And so there are portions of Ezra, um, Ezra chapter 7 as well, uh, the letter that Artaxerxes gives to Ezra. And a large portion of the book of Daniel is also translated to us from the Aramaic. So there are portions of the scripture that were in, in Aramaic and faithfully translated to us um, into our language and in the uh, and here rendered in the King James. All right. So verse eight, Reham the chancellor and Shimshai the scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes the king in this sort. Then wrote Reham the chancellor and Shimshai the scribe, the rest of their companions. Verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. This is the copy of the letter that they sent unto him, even under Artaxerxes the king. Thy servants, the men on this side of the river, this would be a reference to the Euphrates, and at such a time. Be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee uh, to us are come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and the bad city, and have set up the walls thereof and joined the foundations. Be it now known unto the king that if the city be builded and the walls set up again, that they will not pay toil, uh, sorry, toll, tribute, and custom, and so thou shalt endamage the revenue of the kings. Now because we have maintenance from the king's palace, and it was not meet for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore have we assent and certified the king, that search may be made in the book of the records of thy fathers. So shalt thou find in the book of the records and know that the city is a rebellious city, and a hurtful unto kings and provinces, and that they have moved sedition within the same of old time, for which cause was the city destroyed. We certify the king of the city be builded up again, and the wall set up thereof, by that means thou shalt have no portion on this side the river. Then sent the king an answer unto Raham the chancellor, and to Shimshai the scribe, and to the rest of the companions that dwell in Samaria. And under the rest beyond the river, peace, and at such a time. The letter which he sent unto us hath plainly read before me, and I commanded in search have been made. And it is found that this city of old time made insurrection against kings, and that rebellion and sedition have been made therein. There have also been mighty kings also over Jerusalem, which have ruled over all countries beyond the river, and told tribute and custom was paid unto them. So give you now a commandment to cause these men to cease, and that the city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from me. Take heed now that ye fall not to do this. Why should damage grow to the herd of the kings? Now when the copy of Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahab and Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem under the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, so it ceased under the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The letter claims the city of Jerusalem and the Jews to be the rebellious and the bad city. Boys, talk about starting off with something rather incriminating right off the bat, huh? It's, such, it's easy to be stirred one way when you're slanted one way, see today's news media. They warn the king that Artaxerxes, that the Jews will not pay tax or tribute unto him. 
Furthermore, they encourage Artaxerxes to research Jerusalem's history, for if the city and the wall were rebuilt, that the king would have had no portion, that would have been dominion or control, or on this side, the river, and there's a, there's a mention to uh, the river. The river they're referring to is the Euphrates, not the Jordan. Artaxerxes will find in the opposition's favor, and he issues an edict for the work in Jerusalem to be halted. So at this point, they had laid the foundation and maybe had done a couple other things. Obviously, they had built an, built an altar, and they were, they were uh, observing all the Levitical law as they were commanded to and that was one remember that was one of the big reasons that they were uh removed from the land because they had not been walking in the way in the law of their lord of the lord the work would cease unto the second period second year of darius's reign as the king of persia this would be a period of about 15 years now as we'll see next week under there'll be a new persian degree and there'll be some good hard preaching prodding, if you will, from a powerful man of God, this would be Haggai, spoiler alert, the work will resume once again in Jerusalem, even under opposition. We'll see opposition continue. Opposition, there's always been opposition to God's work. You see it here. You saw you saw in Moses' day, both with the people outside and then, of course, the Israelites, there was an opposition here. We have an opposition in our day. There's always going to be opposition until Jesus comes and Jesus returns. Once that happens, there'll be no more. There will be no more. There one day, there will be no more opposition. But until that day comes, we need to press on, even if there is an edict to stop. Okay, so I'm pretty sure I have that point here at the end. All right, lessons from today. I think we are going to wrap up a little bit early. So, even as the work began in Ezra 3, they pause to reflect upon God by returning to the feasts that the Israelites have been commanded to observe. So therefore, it's good for us to reflect upon and do the necessary commandments of our day as well. It is good to reflect upon all that God has done for us. We can do so in, that, in our prayer. We can do that. Um, as we go through our day, just reflecting upon, you know, God is gracious and good to us, especially when we're not. He's good to us when we're good, when we're good, and He's good to us when we're not. And that's the thing we have to remember. That's the thing, one of the things that you have to remember about God. And I'm, and I'm so thankful. It's good for us to reflect upon and do those necessary commandments. It's one thing to hear, and it's another to totally do. Remember, remember what James told his readers. He be uh, hears the word and doers only, and not doers only, deceiving your own selves. James chapter one. The past had to be the past when it came to the temple, and the same can go for the church age. Look, this was not Solomon's temple, but this was still going to be a place where God would be worshipped. We must not reflect upon the past of the church age. There, it, there was a lot of good that had gone on in the church. But there's also been a lot of not so good. But we have to reflect, instead of reflecting upon, oh, the days of the church where the church used to have thousands of people, and there was a day where, you know, the fiery preaching, people would go out, we'd have multiple buses full, and yeah. 
Those days were yesterday. And yes, God was working at time. But don't we still serve the same God today as they did back in that day? Yes, we do. And, we, and, and can that happen again? Yes, that can happen again. We have to believe it for ourselves. And it starts with us. It starts with me. This is a cliche or cheeky phrase, if you will. But, in the, but guess what letter is in the middle of the word revival? Letter I. Means revival is going to start with the person sitting in your seat, and it's going to start with the person standing behind this desk. We must reflect upon the God who we serve and press on for Him while there is still time. Look, we're breathing. That means there's still an opportunity to serve God, there's still an opportunity to see Him work. And not only that, the trumpet hasn't sounded yet, we haven't been called up yet. So that means while that hap- because that hasn't happened, there's still time. There's always going to be opposition to God's work. It's going to be both from outside forces and from those who claim to worship God and are actually only trying to get you to stop, to slow down, or to change your perspective. That's what's happened to the, chur- to the, ch- to the church as a whole. Again, this is not a blanket statement. There are many out there who have moved long, long moved from the purpose of go ye therefore and and preach the gospel to every creature. There are long, there are many organizations, many churches have long moved from that. They've now gone on to we need to help the homeless, we need to have the soup kitchens, we need to have this, we need to have that. We need to find a way to just get numbers in here without actually giving them what they really need. There's a time and a place for certain things, but we need to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's going out and telling a lost and dying world about, about our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. There are many who are only trying to get us to stop or slow down or get us distracted. And if we get distracted, guess what happens to the work? The work stops. If we slow down, if we get discouraged, guess what happens? The work stops. We can't stop the work. There is not a lot of time left. Paul said this to the church at Rome. He said, and now this is high time. Because we're nearer to the day of our salvation than we were the day we believed. That's a loose paraphrase from uh, Romans 13, I believe it is. There's going to come a day where we're no longer going to be able to work. But until that day, we need to press on, even if there is opposition. There's always going to be opposition. If you're waiting for the day that opposition's going to start, the opposition's going to stop, guess what? I've got news for you. It's not going to. You might as well have beachfront property in the state of Oklahoma. There's always going to be someone out there who is going to distract you and get you to do something and try to get you to do something else instead of going on and knocking on that door and saying may I tell you about what Jesus did for me we cannot give them that glory press on even if there is a decree to stop all right that's it for the uh, that's it for the lesson let's uh, thank God for it Lord, thank you for this opportunity you've given us to be in your house this morning. And God, I just pray that as we continue our series in the book of Ezra, that you will help us to press on in our own day. Lord, we've seen the opposition here win. 
And there's times in our lives when we've seen the opposition win. We've seen it very recently, in a matter of fact. Not so much in the last, like, three, not in the last couple of months, but rather a couple of years ago. We've seen, we've seen the decree to stop. And we must be reminded that we cannot. That you, you've given us a far greater purpose and a far greater decree. And we, and we need to be um, reminded that there's always going to be opposition to your work. God, I just pray you would help us to... Uh, to take take these lessons and apply them, and we'll thank you for them, and we'll pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Your dismissed service will be in about fifteen minutes.